Hey listeners, at the beginning of the podcast here, I wanted to take a few minutes of your time to correct a regrettable error that you will eventually listen to later on in this week's episode of the Real Dads podcast. Roger and myself get into a lengthy discussion, a little bit too long, about the DC Extended Universe, about Batman, and about how they are failing to really utilize the deep catalog of well-known villains that Batman has. We're talking about Mr. Freeze, we're talking about the Riddler, we're talking about the Penguin. In no way did I want this conversation to overlook the talent and the skill of Paul Dano, who is going to be taking on the mantle of the Riddler in a standalone Matt Reeves Batman film starring Robert Pattinson. Uh, Colin Farrell will also be playing the Penguin in that movie. What I was trying to convey in this podcast was that the DC Extended Universe and the standalone Batman universe are completely separate entities and in no way did I want to commit any sort of Paul Dano erasure. If you or a friend are suffering from Paul Dano erasure, I implore you to go watch There Will Be Blood. I again apologize for my regrettable error. I wanted to hold myself accountable for that at the beginning of this podcast, so I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you. Dads listeners, welcome to another episode of the Real Dads Movie Podcast, a real podcast about real movies with fake dads. Um, I am your co-host Jordan Smith, and I am joined here. He just turned down Jordan Peele's star role in his next movie to go into a Marty Scorsese film. It's Roger Brandsetter. What's up, Roger? Yeah, it was a hard pass for me. I'm getting a lot of offers, and I don't know. When you get a chance to work with Marty, you just got to take it. Also, this is just a birthday pod for you. You just uh, turned a new age. I don't know if you want me to say what age. It's not a shameful age, though. As we discussed on the last pod, you're still youngish. Yeah, I just turned 17. I'm very excited. I'm going to be able to go to R-rated movies soon. I'm just really pumped. Uh, Next year, I'll be legal, finally. He's currently running around in Zac Efron's body while Matthew Perry's body runs around in a different, more hilarious setting. It's a real Freaky Friday situation over here. <laughs> um, well, wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about some movie news today. And uh, we wanted to have a discussion as well about uh, the new movie that dropped on HBO Max that we've been kind of hyping up and looking forward to um, Judas and the Black Messiah dropped last Friday. And let me tell you, it is a ride. Um, so if you don't want any spoilers for that, if you haven't seen it yet, um, go ahead and watch that movie. Like 100% recommend five stars from me. And don't listen to the back half of this podcast because that's where we'll talk about that. And we might get into some things that you don't want ruined for you if you're like me and that sometimes I just like going into a movie fresh um, without having anything invading my thoughts and just invading my uh, perception of the movie. You want to be able to make your own sound judgments on it. I hate when that happens. Like when I remember maybe what, I think it was Spider-Man 3. So this was obviously a couple of years ago uh, and someone just said it was terrible and then that flavored how i viewed it and it was bad it was really bad but i didn't really have high hopes going in so definitely watch judas and the black messiah before listening to the back half yeah that's kind of what happened to me with malcolm and the marie that we malcolm and marie that we talked about last time where i uh, saw a bunch of reviews just dumping on it and then i watched the movie and ultimately i came to a somewhat lukewarm conclusion on it but the whole time i was watching that i was thinking to myself like, is this bad? Is this bad? Is this bad? Rather than, <laughs> I don't know, focusing more on like the good parts of it, which, you know, I, I was able to reflect on after the movie, but during it, that's, that's, it's a tough one when you have that happen to you. The, is this bad uh, 
repeat thing reminds me of my single days and going on Tinder dates, sitting there, some restaurant the entire time. Is this bad? Is this bad? Is this bad? <laughs> uh, well, as long as you only had one date at a time, I think that's, that's a good way to find some balance. Yeah, that's the way to take it. um so let's hop into some news we mentioned uh this particular director at the top of the podcast jordan peele um who made his directorial debut with get out starring daniel kaluuya which was just phenomenal great movie experience and us which i think is like criminally underrated even though it is um pretty touted by critics, but I thought it should have gotten some more awards consideration last year, especially for the performers, uh, Lupita Nyong'o in particularly. Um, But he has a new horror flick on the way. He's not wasting any time pumping out a new one. He just got Kiki Palmer attached um, and will also have one of the greatest actors right now who is like 32 years old, which is making me feel a little bit terrible about my accomplishments in life. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya is back at it again, teaming up with Jordan Peele. Yeah, so I lied about that 17 thing. I'm 31. And so uh, the fact that he's been nominated for Best Actor and is going to be in a second Jordan Peele movie is, I don't know, I just polished off a bag of chips. So that's that's my accomplishment. I don't know how that stacks up to uh, Daniel Kaluuya. Not favorably, I guess. Yeah, Daniel Kaluuya has just never been bad in a movie, which is like his co-star in uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, never been bad in a movie, even like more obscure films like Someone Great, uh, that rom-com on Netflix. He's awesome in that too. So um, not much to be, you can't compare yourself to Daniel Kaluuya right now. It's tough. He's a, he's on a heater. I think it's unwise to do it generally, even before this. He was in an episode of Black Mirror, wasn't he? Uh, I am not a watcher of Black Mirror. I've seen a couple episodes, but I've just not ridden that wave. Uh, Google, hurry up. Yeah, I think so. Five, 15 million merits. Yeah, that's the one with... Uh, <laughs> it's the one predicting the future where everyone's riding a Peloton at home uh, to get enough points to do something or other. I forgot the exact plot. It's a good episode. They're all good episodes. So they were right. They predicted the future. Everybody has a Peloton and they're, they're racing for points. What do you get to like kill somebody if you get enough points or is now, it um, not as dark as that? I don't know where, why my brain No, So there's there. a lot of whole, uh, I mean, the entire show is like a, the futures and technology is terrible show, but I believe this particular uh, dystopia was that people are riding their Pelotons. They're like, like bikes, like spinning class bikes. Um, and they're trying to get enough credits to make it big or something, or to like audition on some show. Um, and then they go back to like their sleeping quarters and then they're like showing ads all the time, much in the way. And I'm getting a pop-up on my phone as I'm looking at this uh, episode summary. Uh, I don't know. It's really good. If if you like Daniel Kaluuya, uh, that's, a, that's a good way to jump into Black Mirror. And the show generally, I think, is really good. Uh, now that you say that, I, I believe this that episode predates Get Out. Um, I think that's where Jordan Peele kind of saw him and was like, I know he can do this role. Yeah. Uh, December 2011 was when that premiered in the UK. Oh, yeah. And Get Out came out in 2016, 17? Uh, that sounds right. I'm just, I'm on a Wikipedia deep dive now. Uh, at any rate, um, further along in the news, um, Jesse Plemons was originally attached to this movie. So we are, this podcast is just basically going to be a Daniel Kaluuya, Lakeith Stanfield jesse plebman's zone um we're we're just gonna wax poetic about these three phenomenal under 35 actors the entire time um but he turned down a starring role in that movie to be in the new marty scorsese movie which is highly anticipated um it's called killers of the flower moon um that will be set in 1920s oklahoma and it will depict the Reign of Terror, which is a string of murders of the oil wealthy Osage 
nation. Um, I did a little Googling about this, and it's basically about Native Americans of the Osage tribe were being slaughtered and heavy air quotes mysteriously disappearing because they were sitting on just a gold mine of oil. And if it's one thing that Americans do, if you're sitting on oil, we will come for it. So Leo DiCaprio is supposed to be in that movie. I think he was supposed to be in the starting starring role, but he will take more of a supporting role in this case. I'm kind of thinking along the lines of like Django Unchained, um, where he just comes off the bench in a supporting role and starts throwing heaters, but um, real Chris Bosh. Yeah, a real Chris Bosh energy, forever underrated Hall of Famer. Uh, DiCaprio's not underrated by any means. But this brings me to one question. Would you rather star in a Jordan Peele and Daniel Kaluuya movie or go and Scorsese DiCaprio's direction, which obviously Jesse Plemons has made his choice, but... In 2020, I think this is a pretty good debate. Five years ago, it definitely wasn't a debate, but now it's, to me at least, uh, I think it's a question. It's a pretty good question. Um, it's, do you want the to be in something that's probably going to appeal to people for another 40 years or something that is, I mean, I have nothing whatsoever against Scorsese, but he does make movies that tend to appeal to uh let's say a more mature, uh, older demographic, um, dads. Yeah. Dads. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. Uh, if, if you know that, that Daniel Kaluuya is going to be in the Jordan Peele movie and you know that Leo is going to be in the Scorsese movie, gosh, I don't know. Uh, what, what are all the Scorsese Leo movies? Like we have shutter Island. There's, uh departed there is gangs of new york a lot of gangster movies in there just at least five the irishman uh gangs of new york you mentioned i uh, guess i just met the ones with just uh with leo in them oh okay yeah i mean that seems to be a pairing and i think the reason i also brought up this question is that jordan peele and daniel kaluuya seem to be like on that sort of trajectory. Um, I even, I can't remember where I was listening to this, but somebody brought up like maybe Lakeith and Daniel Kaluuya are kind of a new, fresher, like De Niro, Joe Pesci duo where they can both be in a movie and just absolutely feed off of each other and rock the entire film from start to finish. Yeah, I there's no going wrong. If he's offered both of these parts, that speaks in volumes about what people think of Jesse Plemons, like specifically uh, rock star film directors. Yeah, um, we'll talk about this when we were going with when we get to Judas and the Black Messiah. But uh, our f- mutual friend Zach and I were watching this at the same time when we both came up with this epiphany that I guess upon further investigation on like film Twitter and looking at different threads is not the most original thought in the world, but it was hilarious that we were both thinking it at the same time is that uh, Jesse Plemons is basically Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um, It might be the, the looks, the red hair, but it's to me, what that, what that means is that Jesse Plemons just gives consistent good performances in movies that absolutely do not deserve them. Um, Judas and the Black Messiah, he's great. That movie deserved a good performance. But then you have other movies like um, Game Night. You know, that that was a good movie, but he was kind of on another level where that's a like a goofy comedy movie where you, you can kind of just mail it in. Um, I'm thinking like Keanu Reeves and Always Be My Maybe. Um but he did not. He was throwing 105 miles per hour in that movie, and that's just what he does. Yeah, I mean, I've liked him and everything I've seen him, and I've seen him in fewer things than you have, but um, his whole, I don't know, he's able to convey emotion 
uh, with just his eyes and his face won't move. And it seems like nothing is, I don't know. He, in Judas, at least he just has this whole thing where you can tell he's calculating and he's just, I don't know. It was like, uh, the energy of Todd from breaking bad, but like smart. Yeah. There's like a, he can play sinister, but also he can give you like the, the more charming, like wheels turning behind his eyes type of performance. Um, to answer my own question on whether I'm going with Peel and Kaluuya or Scorsese and De Niro, or De Niro, DiCaprio, the other Italian, I think I would go Jordan Peel and Daniel Kaluuya. You know, film purists might slander me for that one because obviously Marty Scorsese is one of the greatest filmmakers um, to ever be behind a camera. He's got a ton of bangers, but... I have to say, I don't think Martin has really had like a movie that was for me that I like specifically since Wolf of Wall Street. And that came out in 2013. I was not a big fan of The Irishman. Uh, I, I don't need to watch Silence again. I Like, I'm good. I've seen it. It's fine. Whatever. Um, but Jordan Peele is just... If you are a rising star, and I think Jesse Plemons is a rising star and a leading man, despite the fact that he's been in this game since he was like five um, in several different roles, I I think you want to attach yourself to somebody who is just consistently putting out good pieces of work, uh, like Get Out and Us. It's pretty hard to go two for two in your first two movies. Um, And I think when you now Jordan Peele is kind of synonymous with um, thriller movies and putting good movies like that into, into motion, whether that's directing or producing um, because he was partly behind the team of the Candyman as well. I, I just want, I want to go with that cast too. I want to go with Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya and you know, he's going to get a ton of other big names attached. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, there's not a bad choice here. Um, it's, I mean, when you're describing Jordan Peele, you, you may not, I've heard people, one might, might describe Daniel or um, Jordan Peele as like a new Alfred Hitchcock. Like that's, that's pretty high praise. I, I think I'd be in pretty much anything that he is directing. Yeah. To me, he's like the HBO of directors right now. And that he's going to carefully pick the content that he attaches his name to. And he's not going to, at least for now, we haven't seen it yet, but he's not going to just attach his name and like pump out the third Lego movie or something. He, he's going to do something that he believes in and something that's actually saying something. And I just remember going to get out in theaters. It was one of the best movie going experiences that I've ever had. And that that's the kind of movie I want to see in theaters is something that's like pr- provocative, thrilling, intense and killers of the flower moon sounds great. It has a lot of good elements. Um, we've been watching boardwalk empire a lot. So like that time period is kind of interesting to me right now. Um, but I can also watch that on a streamer like Scorsese's Irishman was on Netflix and I wasn't feeling like I missed out on much because I didn't see it in a theater, but Jordan Peele's movies should be seen in theaters. Yeah. I mean, just his percentage of movies, like, yeah, he's made fewer movies, but they were both awesome. And to your point that you just made, uh, his movies tend to have more of a message, um, than most of Scorsese's like you can you can make the argument for like a Wolf of Wall Street is like oh this is clearly like why greed is a bad thing and like there's that's um an adapted screenplay and so it's a little hard to say whether that's actually like what Martin Scorsese was trying to say or what he thought that this that this script was going to be just a fun good movie to make and Leo was into it um whereas Peels just I don't know I every time I watch get out I'm just blown away by like just little subtle tiny things that are in the movie where it's like oh he's definitely making this commentary and he wants he wants you to pick it up on every level even if it's just like some little subtle thing 
Um, and I, I mean, I saw that detail in us too, and I didn't see, uh, the other thing that he made twilight zone on CBS, but I would imagine it was probably pretty good because he's an all-star director. So good for Jesse yeah. Plemons for getting these offers. Also, he's, he's also 32. He looks way older, right? Is that just me? I mean, from Landry and Friday night lights to being like the absolute worst in breaking bad Fargo. It just seems like Jesse Plemons has, uh, he was in like Mike. Like I, that was my first exposure to Jesse Plemons as being that little shithead from like Mike. And it's astounding that he's like basically grown up with us right now. So here's a question to you. That's not on uh, our preview here. What does he have to do? Uh, what role does he have to take to more fully embody the Philip Seymour Hoffman that we want him to be? Oh man. Um, gosh, I feel like that takes a little bit of like looking at the kind of roles that Philip Seymour Hoffman has done. It's definitely not be part of a large movie franchise as the last thing I believe PSH did was Hunger Games. Um, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. not quite what I would go for. I feel like maybe some sort of politician like Capote be in a movie like that, just just kind of playing like it, an important like figure that he can transform into. Um, he's a very chameleon-like actor in his own right. But I think he, I don't know, biopics kind of have a, a formula, if you will. Uh, beginning, middle, and end of somebody's life is pretty self-explanatory because everybody's born, somebody who's got a biopic about them, they eventually do something great, and then they die in some capacity. Yeah, I, I think he could do something like that. I think a, a maybe a smarmy politician who's just like a little shithead but you're kind of like rooting for him anyway sorry you cut out for a second i heard smarmy though and i think that he can pull off smarm oh yeah i was saying maybe just like a a smarmy politician who d does a ton of bad shit but you're kind of like rooting for him anyway so um, a bill clinton actually that that, that fits he looks enough like bill that'd be that'd be pretty fun i could see him doing that i could see <laughs> playing bill clinton um i need that that movie uh a 90s set bill clinton biopic starring jesse plemons directed by adam mckay give it to me right now coming this fall slick willie oh god <laughs> playing that sweet sweet jazz um speaking of movies coming out soon um we decided to take a look at a couple trailers that came out this past week. You, uh, just to peel back the curtain on podcast production here, just watched these two trailers uh, seconds before we started recording. I watched them today and other one when it came out a couple days ago, but the two trailers are for Cruella, which is just unnecessary movie. Disney's just open up that IP vault and seeing what falls out. Uh, obviously, it's about Cruella DeVille, sort of an origin story in the vein of Maleficent uh, starring Angelina Jolie. And then the other one is the trailer for what we mentioned a couple weeks ago, the Snyder Cut Baby uh, coming out in four parts in March. Uh, happy birthday to me. <laughs> Let's talk about these two trailers uh you just watched the cruella one what was your initial thought those dogs really don't like her i don't know why <laughs> i don't get it like they're so no. mean so my I, I had said this earlier but like i don't know we have prime emma stone and we're gonna waste her talents on a cruella movie when she could be in literally she should be in a scorsese or a jordan peele movie she shouldn't be doing this like retread thing that no one like oh, who are, who's the audience for this? Like who is out there? Like I need more Cruella content after 102 Dalmatians. I am just really curious how this mean lady got so mean. I don't know. Pro probably some like parent issues. That's almost always why. 
I generally thought the appeal of 101 Dalmatians was the 101 dogs that were involved. And whether it was a live action spin or the cartoon, I didn't watch it for the very pointy faced lady who wanted to skin these puppies alive and wear them. That's not what I did. It's Betsy DeVos, the movie. That's what this is. I just like, I like Emma Stone and like, I don't know, more power to her for getting, I'm sure she's getting a massive paycheck, yada, yada, yada. I, who is this movie for? I just don't see a hundred one Dalmatians movie. You're in it for Pongo. You're in it for Perdita. You're not in it for Cruella. I don't know that she's actually that compelling of like one of the bad guys. And like, I, I think a Jafar movie would be Jafar better than this. Oh God. Uh, what did you say? Bacongo and Pongo and Perdita. That's the mommy and daddy dogs in, uh, in hundred one Dalmatians. See, you could have made those names up and I wouldn't have been any wiser. Like I had no idea. This movie is clearly not for me, despite the fact that they cast one of my favorite actresses, Emma Stone as the lead. Like I love Emma Stone. I love everything she's ever done. Um, like, Crazy Stupid Love, Easy A is like an all-time rom-com for me. But shower scene is the best. What? <laughs> uh, we all got a pocket full of sunshine when we're singing in the shower. Um, I just don't. I, when I saw the trailer, I I quote tweeted it with just a picture of Joaquin Phoenix with the subtitle that says, "I'm going to become the Joker." Like that's the <laughs> exact vibe I got out of this movie and i'm pretty sure the first maleficent movie was a hit like it was very successful worldwide and had a lot of appeal because this was a kind of an old character that they were able to humanize in a way uh this sort of anti-hero type of thing for disney but there was a sequel to that movie i don't know if you knew this there was a sequel to that movie i'm not sure it got nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> I still had no idea. What was it nominated for? Like uh, visual, uh, visual. Or, nah, it might have been costume or makeup, or it was one of the no shade at anyone, but one of the softer categories where like a Maleficent can get a nomination. I I hope that Cruella gets nominated for costume, and not to get twisted with it, but I hope there's a specific reason she gets nominated for costume. Is PETA going to like boycott this movie? I I feel like this is like PETA's origin story as well. Like (laughs) it didn't exist before 101 Dalmatians. That's canon. Yeah. I mean, they do have that on their FAQ page. They they are, uh, they are anonymous from V for Vendetta. That's what, that's the movie I'm thinking of. It's going to make a Hugo weaving reference. (laughs) Uh, Hugo weaving those dog pelts together. <laughs> oh, oh no. Okay, let's get let's step away from animal cruelty and get to human cruelty. <laughs> uh, the second trailer. Uh, speaking of Joker, uh, the Snyder cut. That trailer dropped. Um, a lot of the same footage you can tell that you know from the original Justice League movie from 2017, but you can tell that there's a lot of stuff in here that they use that inflated, I think like an additional 40 or $60 million for reshoots and things like that. So this is essentially a new movie. What I'm thinking about more, more specifically about the new stuff is the ending when we get like the, the, the twisted Jared Leto, uh, golden globe nominee, Jared Leto Joker, who's back baby. Uh, he comes back from his very brief, uh, but I kind of liked Suicide Squad appearance. Uh, I thought he was kind of like interesting and he's supposed to be the crown prince of Gotham and like sort of a gangster at his core. If he's like a, you know, a city crime boss, uh, like I kind of like the interpretation that Jared Leto put on it, but that was the that was the main part of the trailer is that we're Joker back, baby. Yeah, I still don't care about this movie. <laughs> uh, it, I, I'll end up watching it because I, I don't know, 
because you're my friend and I respect you and I want to support you through this, what looks like a four hour, pretty bad movie. But uh, I don't know. I don't know why Batman has to be wearing a coat. It's like he has a bat suit. What, what are you doing? He's just wearing a trench coat and some goggles for no reason. I don't he needed more pockets. That's that's why he has a, a belt of utility for that. He needed more utility. I'm surprised he's not wearing cargo pants, too. He needs more. I will 100% be watching this movie, and I'm 100% hoping that it's good because they're like we talked about in a different podcast. There are several DC properties that are very good movies, like within this contained uh, DC extended universe. I'm thinking Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Shazam, Wonder Woman 1984 was bad. <laughs> lukewarm at best. Uh, th- and then there were some more rough titles with the quote premier characters like Batman and Superman that you want to have good movies of. But I want this movie to be good because they are, this franchise should try to keep its legs going. Um, the initial movies weren't as great as they could have been. They kind of rushed things out until they like slowed their shit down with Wonder Woman and Aquaman. Um, oh, I can't forget Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey should be nominated for an Oscar. Phenomenal stuff. Um, I, I genuinely think genuinely think that was a great movie. I need to see that. That'll probably get some nominations for a costume or makeup or something like that. I think so because they the Oscars released those shortlist categories and I think they're on there for costume and makeup. Good movie. I recommend watching it. I think it's on HBO Max still. But they rushed things a little bit. They wanted to catch up to Marvel, which Marvel already had like a six-year head start on them. So it's like you're not going to catch up to them. But I think it's just good for if this is what we're going to have movies like blockbuster movies be for the foreseeable future. I think it's good for both Marvel and DC to have a little competition. Like it's not, Marvel's not going to phone it in with bad movies because they don't want blemishes on their record, which has been fairly unassailable for at least the past five years, but 35 and one, it's real good. Yeah. But they, they need to keep going. And I think having DC as some sort of competitive counterpart to keep people going to theaters to keep us entertained in different ways. Like I I know there are are people out there who Marvel is not always for them. It's not necessarily their thing, whether they like some of the movies and not all of them, or they like none of them at all. I, I just think we need another voice, another competitor in the industry, at least to, to keep this, keep Marvel on their toes. Yeah, keep them I think producing good content. I think something that I would like to see from DC movies, because I think it's really hard to go and meet Marvel and like play the same game they're doing with like, I don't know. They just have uh, really good CG, and the writers are all seemingly on the same page, so to speak, uh, in terms of just like quick banter and there's like jokey dialogue, but it gets to the point and it's all wrapped up by minute 135 of the movie or whatever. I would like to see, and I think that it's possible that they go in this direction with DC, but like more uh, of alternate universe storylines. Like you don't, it doesn't need to be all in the same universe. You don't need to be building up to an infinity war. I'd love to see a Batman movie where they're doing like the, the killing joke live action, or uh, I don't know, a Superman. I'm not as familiar with Superman as I am with Batman, but ultimately, like, I think it'd be really cool to see some of these, like, I guess this mostly just applies to Batman. He's kind of the only one I care about, but like, give me, uh, I think the diversity and uh, overall uh, interest of villains in DC are just, it, it's way higher than Marvel. Like, I can't, I'm struggling to think of who all of like the main Iron Man villains were in those uh, banner, like the Iron Man regular movies. Um, Tony! Yeah, see, like it's Obadiah, but then like, oh wait, no, never, it was, uh, I can't think of his name. I know it was- Justin uh, Hammer? Mickey Rourke. Whiplash? 
I think I think it was Whiplash, the dude with the electric whips. It doesn't. Okay, the, the point is that like a Riddler and a Joker and uh, maybe not Cheetah in Wonder Woman, but like I don't know. The Batman Rogues Gallery is an awesome list of characters, and that's a ton of unmined IP. And I feel like it would be hard to get to all of them. Uh, unless you're doing the thing where you pull a Spider-Man 3 and you cram all the bad guys into one movie, which doesn't work because that's just too much crap to keep track of. I think it'd be really cool to have like just different storylines with like just you can have a different Batman every time. It doesn't need to be the same guy, like just pick an interesting actor and tell X story uh, and hire some good directors or even just keep the same one. But I don't know. I, I feel like it's. I think it's a, f- a fool's errand to try to compete with Marvel uh, and do the same thing that they're doing and have 36 movies tie into one at the very end or two, I guess. Yeah. What Marvel did with all of their movies is nothing short of a miracle. Like they had all these pieces working uh, in sync with each other and Some movies tied more directly with others. Some of them only vaguely, you know, hinted at other movies. Like I'm thinking Black Panther or like Thor Ragnarok only lightly hinted at the uh, following movie, like at the end in a stinger, like not even uh, directly within the film itself, other than, well, I guess the Doctor Strange cameo. But that being said, when they landed the plane in both Infinity War and Endgame, back to back usually that doesn't work like that sort of thing well it's never been done before but just the fact of them like splitting a conclusion to this epic doesn't work very well it sure as heck didn't work for the hunger games Uh, your mileage might vary a little bit on the harry potter deathly hallows conclusion like they packed a ton of stuff in the first version of that and then they kind of left a lot of stuff out and then the second movie was they could have put more stuff in this i don't know they just didn't balance it very well is what i'm saying uh do you remember the divergent series with uh aaron Rodgers's fiance shailene woodley i uh didn't see that so i don't remember it i guess <laughs> well they had a couple movies and they didn't even get a concluding movie out of that like it it just kind of stopped i think they were talking about putting it on tv or something and that was the end of that franchise basically um so to have like 20 some movies conclude is almost impossible and what dc needs to do is understand that they are not marvel and they have something that marvel didn't have to begin with we mentioned before about kind of the way that Marvel had to go about starting this universe is that they had to go with Iron Man or like these other B plus uh, characters in their arsenal. Whereas the DC universe can start out really hot with all of their hot Warner brothers, IP Superman, Batman, wonder woman, etc. cetera. Uh, they got Dwayne Johnson, one of the biggest movie stars in the world coming to the DC universe. Another reason why, I need this movie to succeed so we can keep this <laughs> Justice League going a little bit longer to see him on the big screen and tie this all together. But like you said, Batman himself has more recognizable villains than the entire the, MCU. The entire MCU, you're right. Like Christopher Nolan's Batman series can be almost defined by the villains per movie, whether that's Scarecrow joker or bane like in at least joker and bane are memorable to this point and it's almost wild that we haven't seen like a legitimate i, I don't i'm not counting i'm not counting the harvey dent from uh aaron eckhart dark yes aaron eckhart i'm not counting his two-face i'm more focusing on tommy lee jones's two-face because that is the one i stand or a mr freeze or a um or it's Riddler. getting cold in here <laughs> we we've seen fan casts of like the riddler for decades is like the best penguin it's yes. impossible the penguin 
Like, I get that the bar is high for those performances, but clearly he's, the Heath Ledger took on that role and cleared the hurdle just fine. Like, you just have to kind of go for it. People have been wanting to cast a Riddler, whether that's like Neil Patrick Harris or I'm trying to think of some other ones. Um, the guy from Dexter, Michael. Anyway, fan casting the Riddler for years now. And it's like, just go on the internet. Like go get on Sheldon. It doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> go just on. get someone who you think would be a good Riddler and just make the movie. Go on the most terrible website, twitter.com, and you will find people going hard for Riddler casting like every couple of weeks. They just want somebody in the role. Like that's how you get people in the seats. And they already have a diverse cast. Um, I mean, Wonder Woman came before Captain Marvel, folks. It took years for Marvel to be like, oh, we should do a Black Widow movie, even though that would have absolutely slapped 10 years ago. It's too bad and they couldn't get a big actress for that. that I, she's <laughs> she's a chameleon. She could do any role she wants. Jason Momoa playing a non-traditional Aquaman. You have uh, Ezra Miller, who is part of the LGBTQ community. Um, Ray Fisher, who I don't know if he's going to be part of this anymore, but uh, already a, a black uh, superhero within one of their big tentpole pictures. And like I mentioned before, Dwayne Johnson, they have the Birds of Prey movie, which just slapped. And honestly, every time I watch the first Avengers movie, I kind of laugh now at that scene during the Battle of New York where it's kind of like, oh, this is the the rotating camera picture of all these heroes in one picture. And the only thing I can think of is these are a lot of white people in this one shot. Well, the and Hulk, Hulk is green. The, He's green, Jordan. <laughs> the, the Hulk from, from Planet Hulk is green. Uh, I mean, obviously Tony Stark is wearing his Iron Man suit, but you know RDJ is under there. And I'm like, wow, it kind of took them a while to be like, you know what, maybe we should do Black Panther. <laughs> It's it's just wild to me, like that. I don't know that I like that movie, but that still sticks out in my head when they do that that scene. They needed to like CGI Samuel L. Jackson in there for like no reason whatsoever, just so it's like not as stark. Pardon the pun. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I've thought probably too much about Justice League at this point. What's up next? <laughs> Let's get to some IP that I feel like is just directly tied for me uh, is a Mr. and Mrs. Smith reboot that is going to be turned into a television series for Amazon. Uh, and it's going to be done by just two absolute legends right now, Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller-Bridge taking on the mantles of what I assume are probably just going to be recasting Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie from their, from their movie roles. Um, no word yet. If Adam Brody is reprising his role from the film, but th this is just great. This is good for me. Uh, it's a good day for this is exactly what I want. I just, the first, I guess maybe not the first, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the movie, like the one with Brad and Angie in it was freaking awesome. And like, I, you're getting Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Donald Glover who are absolutely at the apex of celebrity and like who we want to see in movies and you're going to get them on the screen at the same time. Like, yes, I'm, I'm all the way in. And the fact that it's a series means we're going to get like five times more of it than we got from Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the movie an excellent movie that I would have watched eight more hours of Mr. And Mrs. Smith is just a movie that back when cable was actually a thing. And that I had that was, if that was on, I was, I'm stopping and I'm watching for wherever it's at, whether they're in the house scene where they're shooting at each other, whether That's they're in so that giant, like Costco or what have you, uh, like I'm just in at any point in that movie. And to have Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who selfishly too, I hope this kind of helps boost up and prop up the campaign for uh, Solo 2, um, because those two 
were co-stars and like kind of love interests and in that movie so i'm hoping it just kind of revamps that up and it can get get more traction for content that is specifically targeted at somebody like me selfishly i mean it's really nice when you get things that are just like i don't know it's it's like that brewery that opened up near me where it feels like every single thing about it was like pulled out of my brain and put into real life so i'm really happy for you i'm really happy for all of us that were i i feel like I've had this uh, this Donald Glover shaped hole in my heart for uh, I don't know since Solo. I'm I'm trying to think of the last thing that I saw him in where I was like, yeah, uh, we need some more Guava Island. Yeah, I watched Guava Island. I liked it, but it's not like I, it's not like Atlanta. I need more seasons of Atlanta, and I hope this is just kind of a um, a thing that he can he can do and he can work on. Um, when he's not working on Atlanta. Uh, I think that's part of the reason why he's doing another TV show like this. Um, Cause he did promise us more seasons of Atlanta, at least two more. So I'm, I'm going to hold him to that. Um, let's move it along here because we spent a lot of time talking about justice league for some reason. Um, let's move it along here and get to the spoiler part of the podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about Judas and the black Messiah. So if you haven't seen that, pause the podcast right now go watch that movie and then come back and um you know hopefully you've come to a lot of the same conclusions that we have because if i could characterize this movie in one word it is spectacular it was it was everything that i was hoping that this at-home movie experience could be where it's uh, a movie about something of import and it has really good actors and it's directed really well the score and soundtrack are stellar. Like this is what I was hoping that this WB HBO max could result in. And my God, that movie is so, so good. I am just in awe of Lakeith. I mean, of Daniel and just everybody in this movie did such a good job. Yeah. I, I like what I have kind of found out about this movie after I watched it and kind of how it came together. Um, so basically it's just a thrilling drama that's kind of works as a biopic for, um, Black Panther icon, Fred Hampton, um, and like the FBI plot to undermine just the Black Panther party and what they, what J Edgar Hoover, um, considered radical, uh, with heavy air quotes. I knew that police had shot and killed Fred Hampton while he was sleeping. I knew that he was uh, actually 21 when that happened and basically just a baby. Um, but I did not know about like the actual FBI connections to it. And I didn't know who uh, William O'Neill was as a person who was also super young. The only like real thing that you can possibly conceive to complain about for this movie, if you're just being a nit picky person is that like Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya who play O'Neill and Hampton respectively are at least 10 years older than what the characters actual ages were at the time of this incident so uh, it was very it was like a history lesson um, and things I've, I've read up about Shaka King and how he uh, came to this movie it was like the Lucas brothers were um, who are comedians and comedy writers. They've been like tossing this idea around and they approached Shaka King on it. And basically it was described as like, to bring it back to Scorsese, the the departed um, told through the world of the Cointel program, which is just the FBI's counterintelligence program. And you could feel that sort of like intense espionage DNA throughout this movie that was still about fred hampton's life at that point in time yeah i i just really think it's there need to be more movies about civil rights leaders to my great shame i wasn't that familiar with fred hampton's story um and so like seeing this and being like oh the fbi deemed this uh and this kind of uh, goes back to your earlier point but the fbi deemed this 21 year old that big enough threat to 
the country or to something, I guess, that they wanted to assassinate him. I'm, it's just like an astounding set of words to say out loud. <laughs> it's it's astounding like, that they want to surveil him in the first place, not just go to the furthest extreme to assassinate him, but even taking it back to surveilling a 21-year-old who's just kind of organizing for his community is wild. I mean, it's uh, so like I'm as aware of like what the Black Panthers were and are. I wasn't aware that like I've heard Rainbow Coalition, but I guess I didn't. I sort of assumed it was primarily like minority non-white based and not necessarily like Fred Hampton going to these people with the Dixie flag up and like the white working class to use some modern parlance. Um, or another group he appealed to, and it's he turned it into it's not necessarily like a black power movement, but like going for the big evil, scary word. And I guess that is what would have perked up the FBI's ears. But it's just it's astounding how big of an impact someone who is that age could make that we're still talking about it. And I mean, still dealing with most of the issues this many years later. Yeah, I mean. Definitely socialist in a revolutionary. Like when I saw the scene of him going in with those, like, and this takes place in Chicago too, but it's not surprising to see like the whole Confederate flag thing. And when he went to go talk to them and to speak to them on a human level, I was like, at least half of them are cops anyway. Like, why are you trying to talk to these people? <laughs> um, but it, it was very just like, they did a good job of, and a lot of this attributes to Kaluuya's performance and just how like magnetic and charismatic he was in the role and how inspiring he was and how he even still like he transformed himself. Um, you can tell he packed on a couple pounds um, from his queen and slim days, which is not a bad thing, but he also uh, has spoken about how he had like taken operatic lessons so he knew how to like train his voice so he could be you know the boisterous fast speech giver on one day of filming and then still have like those quiet more intimate moments with Dominique Fishback which were it, it was a great juxtaposition in that regard yeah I mean his the there's a scene at the beginning where they're introducing him. He's like, I don't need a mic. Y'all, you can, you can all hear me, right? And he's just like, wow, this mm -hmm. guy's voice fills a room. Daniel Kaluuya is just unbelievable. And like, he takes on this voice. If you're like, if he's just like talking and doing an interview, like that's just nuts. Like he's so talented. Yeah, like his, his first speech that you just alluded to, immediately I'm like, I mean, and, it's a cheap comparison, but obviously I was thinking about uh, Denzel in Malcolm X and just how uh, Denzel embodied uh, somebody else who was a civil rights leader, but also just a great orator. And like the way that Denzel speechifies in that movie, like Kaluuya is, is kind of right there and he's he's speaking uh, with like a bravado and he's going fast too. He's going like 50 miles an hour with his speech patterns. And obviously a lot faster than I can articulate this because I'm caught up in my own thoughts, but he's just going off the cuff and it's just, it's really great. Um, and, and I like the way that the movie kind of sets up this kind of sets it up in a way where like, obviously I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for William O'Neill um, and and his person, but the way Lakeith Stanfield plays him, uh, they kind of set it up in a way that's like, you're kind of rooting for this guy to hopefully turn the other way. And because uh, you know exactly where, where it's heading. Like they, the FBI has a very clear goal. And if you know the history of Fred Hampton before going in, you know exactly how it's going to end. But I, I also made another comparison to Denzel and I, I don't mean to keep comparing black actors to the greatest black actor but 
I, I just thought of Alonzo Harris in Training Day, Denzel's character, where it's like, you know, he's bad, but you're kind of hoping like this time maybe he's not the bad cop. And like you're kind of hoping throughout this, and Lakeith Stanfield does a great job of this, is you're like, you're kind of hoping that history is like rewritten in a Tarantino like way where like O'Neill says, no, I'm not going to continue to sell out the Black Panthers to the FBI. Because even though William O'Neill maintained that he was pretty agnostic about like the politics surrounding like the Black Panther Party and what the FBI wanted to do, he didn't take any sort of like legitimate hard stance, but they kind of played it in a way where it's like people in Fred Hampton's orbit were impacted by him because he he was just that like powerful of a presence. I mean, that's the thing that I took away is like, he's, even if you didn't necessarily agree with everything he had to say, like the, whatever, the white group, the rebel flag, like he just had a magnetism and you can't help, but like, He's saying things that you're going to agree with unless you are like in the 1% or if you are um, J. Edgar Hoover. So I don't, I don't know. I think that Lakeith played O'Neill in a, in such a way that like you can empathize with like, he was 17 when he was first picked up by the police for doing whatever he was doing. And like he was 19 at the time of chairman Fred's, assassination right yeah he was barely a legal adult yeah so like i mean you can empathize with them and i i do think it's a pretty different movie if we show like or at least try to portray um how old these monumental figures actually were but i'm just telling the story that we got actors with chops like Lakeith Stanfield and Dan Kulia. Yeah. Um, O'Neill was like 19 um, when the assassination occurred and uh, Fred Hampton was 21. And in the movie, like O'Neill is just kind of trying to survive. Um, you're thinking like when you're watching this, like, Oh, you're an adult. You should be able to like make this decision. Um, and like, take a stance you know like we we saw the scene where Kulia's Hampton was talking to Dominique Fishback and he's like you know what I'm I'm ready to die for this cause like I am uh, the leader of this revolution that I believe in so much that I'm willing to uh, make the ultimate sacrifice if it comes down to that and I think that really showed the differences in those two individuals even though they were so they're so tightly connected to one another so so i say all that to say like o'neill's character is played by lakeith stanfield as somebody who's sympathetic but at the same time i mean you can understand why someone does a bad thing but that doesn't excuse it yeah i understand why he was in survival mode but i also take that as like fred hampton was around the same young age and he had just the moral principle and he'd still be alive today and he would be a revered or he still is a revered hero, but he would be a, a living legend right now. Just like a lot of civil rights leaders would still be alive today. Yeah. But, I found myself thinking about like, I don't know, he, he did all this and he was 21. Like he was going to be a Senator. Like I don't, I really would like to see the alternate reality where he is able to still be alive today, but the FBI sucks and J Edgar Hoover's a, dick <laughs> j edgar sheen um that brings me to my next point about the movie is that there's not really a hole with any of the performances um i already touched on dominique fishback who was just really great as um who w- was then known as deborah johnson i i thought she was like just the heart of the movie she was able to uh, be a character that gave us the window to a, another side of Fred Hampton, Jesse Plemons, who this is a Jesse Plemons podcast. We've already talked about him. He's very uh, PSH-esque with his performance. Um, he's very good and he's always good. Uh, but I even liked the the very minor like Lil Rel Howery 
bit where he's just he's in the movie for like five minutes as that pimp he just comes off the bench goes six for six from three and then he's out like that was even those like little niche performances uh especially when you think about how that ties um kaluuya lakeith and uh laurel howry back to the get out movie like it's just those are like little tidbits that you just love yeah i mean i would even classify martin sheen's part as like pretty small in terms of the minutes on screen at like he's the one who moved jesse plemons to push o'neill to like set up the assassination but in terms of just minutes and lines martin sheen really was not a huge part of the movie tons of so and i mean in that sense yes i i totally agree like tons of little tiny parts that just i don't know it made the movie feel that much more real yeah, and whoever it is was real, obviously, but it, it seemed more like, uh, like, a, oh, this is exactly what happened. Then, oh, this is definitely a dramatic retelling of like what probably happened. Yeah, I, I loved the, the sound editing too, and just the score of it was really, it was thrilling. It kind of kept you on your toes and suspenseful when it needed to be. The shootout scene is like very reminiscent of Heat. Um, which is just a Michael Mann movie that's on the top of my heist movie list, um, if if not at the top spot. And it, it's just, it was shot beautifully too. Like, I, I think Shaka King has got next. Like, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, uh, Kevin Feige was calling him up and being like, hey, how do we get you on our next MCU project? Like, we need... He, he's a great director and I think he should be involved in a lot more projects going forward. Yeah. Fully agree. I, yeah, I'm just still just blown away by this movie. The, I am a revolutionary speech scene. With Jesse Plemons just hanging in the background, Daniel Kaluuya doing his thing. Lakeith's eyes just like showing all of his emotion without him moving a single muscle is one of the best scenes that I've seen in a movie in, well, at least a year. I'm trying to think of what else from like 2019 could top it because it crushed anything from 2020. And this year still obviously quite young, unlike myself. So I, yeah, I, it, as of right now, I think Daniel Cooley is my front runner for best supporting actor, even though it sure felt because of his performance, like a lead role, I think he's technically a support in this film. Yeah, I think he can run in either category if they truly wanted to to do that. I think he, if he ran in Best Actor, I think he should win in it. If he runs in Best Supporting, I still think he should win in it because I think Best Supporting is kind of thin this year in terms of actors who are like in a supporting role but aren't like part of a larger ensemble cast. Like my my top supporting actor guys are going to be like. Delroy Lindo and the five bloods or like Kingsley Benadir from one night in Miami, but it's harder for them to distinguish themselves as like, they should be the ones to be nominated because of how many other great, like supporting performances were in those respective movies. But that scene you were talking about too, like when Chloe is giving the speech, Lakeith is uh, just emoting without even like, without even moving and Jesse Plemons is in the audience chanting along with the crowd, but just fixated on the Keith Stanfield's character. It's like, it's chilling that that is a, that is an Oscar real movie or Oscar real scene for any one of those three. Like if they're, if they're all nominated and they're like Jesse Plemons for best supporting actor, they play that scene. Daniel Kaluuya for best supporting actor. They still might play that same scene. So it's like, it, it was just wild. And I loved every minute of it. Yeah. I can't get over that movie. It was just so good. If you, I mean, if you haven't watched that movie and you're still listening to us, then you didn't heed our advice at the start of the podcast because it was so good as to be like a must watch. Yeah. It, it should hopefully because it's out on, um hbo max now for the next 30 days that it starts picking up more 
awards steam. I saw some pieces today that I, I don't know. I just didn't agree with where I saw a lot of like Judas and the black Messiah. And then the three main respective characters that we've been talking about just haven't gotten any, any, any love in terms of like the predictions about moving up the list when they absolutely should. Um, I'm not claiming to be an expert, but this is my best picture winner right now. And it's my favorite movie that I've seen this year. So I fully recommend going to see it. And that's my only recommendation for, for this week. I'd only watched Judas and the black Messiah really since the last podcast that we did in terms of movies. So that's my recommendation. Everybody needs to go watch it. It's a really good rec. Uh, I would second and third and fourth at, you need to go see the movie guys. <laughs> uh, I have, I've watched promising young woman since the last time we spoke and uh, that movie's really good. I really recommend that to anyone. It's um, it, I, uh, it's not, it's one of the movies where there's not really, there's a score, but the soundtrack um, just drives that movie and Carrie Mulligan's awesome in it. And uh, Bo Burnham is awesome in it. Um, it's just really good. I'm excited for you to watch it because I want to hear some of your takes on it. Yeah, I'll have to watch it and we'll have to hopefully chat about it next time. Um, any more on Judas and the Black Messiah? I think that's that's good for, for today. <laughs> yeah, uh, really good. Uh, I think it should win Best Original Screenplay too. We'll see what happens. Yeah, hopefully it starts to pick up more steam because people are watching it and seeing it right now and it absolutely lives up to the hype and the praise that we just dumped on it um don't forget to go and check out the wisconsin homestead podcast um it is a we'll call it a companion podcast to ours from our our mattis fam uh aj and hannah uh their podcast as they navigate life as parents as homesteaders and um just kind of finding their their path and and how they like to do things and sharing that advice with you so go check out the wisconsin homestead podcast on apple google spotify uh, in the same place that you can catch the real dads podcast apple google and uh, spotify and we'll see you nerds later peace Bye.